0: I think going back to honoring every day and honoring what we can do, I was so determined to find out where this road would end. And I'm so grateful that it kept going and going. I kept thinking I would hit a wall in my ability. Like I would hit a wall or it was in my pain and I couldn't go anymore. And you know what, I'm done. This is all I can do. And I'm so lucky that it just kept going. There's been a lot of people that I've met that have very similar injuries. That, that road stopped short of mine. And so I'm so lucky. And I felt like it's disrespectful not to push it not to keep going and to see where it ends.
1: Welcome, everybody. We are back with another episode of Comeback Stories. Today's guest, Alex Smith. Welcome, my man.
0: Thank you for having me. Good to be here.
1: Yeah, it's an honor. I don't think there's a greater comeback I'm one of the ultimate or the all times that, that I've ever witnessed. It's an honor and a blessing to have you here. And what came up for me, just knowing your story and diving in a little bit more is just this unbelievable perspective you have. And I think a lot of that even starts when we're younger. So can you just set the context and maybe tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up for you?
0: Yeah. I grew up on the, the mean streets of San Diego, uh, you know, a real rough, rough time. Honestly, I had a great family. I'm the third of four kids. I have one brother and two sisters. I was a, a typical middle child. And, you know, I grew up kind of playing sports. I had a ball in my hand from, I was, from the time I was little. My dad is an educator and a teacher by trade and coach. And yeah, I mean, I, I think I grew up in a great family, I had a ton of support and didn't really know adversity for a long time. But other than, like I said, just being that typical middle kid and having to fight with your brother and sisters and grew up that way. But it was amazing. I had a ton of love in the house. Super fortunate in that sense.
1: How do you feel like your dad, I come from a family of educators also, but how do you feel like even with your dad's background as an educator really helped shape your perspective or your upbringing?
0: The big thing I think was mindset. I think I, I can distinctly remember times when I, was frustrated in my youth and and typical things, whether it be about sports or like playing time or friends and peers and school, whatever it may be. And so oftentimes when we're young, our emotions, I think can get the best of us and really overcome us a lot. And I I distinctly remember multiple times, my dad sitting me down and, and I think helping me not analyze, but understand what was going on. I think how obviously those emotions are there and those things happen, but I think not letting them get the best of me and that they aren't serving me always on on what I want. And and I think helping me find a way back to getting to a point where I am moving to where I want to go. I'm not getting hijacked out of a situation, distracted from my goals and where I want to go. And and I think it was always using logic and reason. And I think the educator in him that was always trying to, to show me that as an example.
1: Yeah, I think that it's when you describe that, it sounded like your dad was helping you shape perspective and even using logic and reason. But I don't think just logic and reason actually can completely shape our perspective. So there's probably on mom's side and other teachers and, and mentors that brought you up that probably brought in a lot of gratitude and other things that really help with the correct or the proper perspective.
0: Well, yeah, I think so. It's so easy sometimes for us to get tunnel vision on what's going on in our own life and to get consumed about those things. And I think obviously anytime, I mean, really perspective is opening up that lens to really what's going on in the world and all around you. and, And I think where you fit in that. And oftentimes I think every time you do that, you realize how lucky we are in the big picture. And I think that was important, both my parents, I think that was very important for them from a young age to always, I think, try to teach us perspective and how lucky we were. We were a very middle-class family, like run of the mill in that sense. But they constantly tried to instill in us how lucky that is to be here in this country, to be where we were, how many things we did have. As a kid, you always complain about the shoes you don't have or the things you don't have, you know? And constantly, I think, instilling us how lucky we are all all the things that we do have. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that did for sure carry on as, I, as and still is with me.
1: Sounds like you got that beautiful blend of logic, reason, and gratitude, and really helped shape you to have perspective through all the setbacks and all the adversity. Do you have an early memory of pain or an early struggle, anything from childhood, high school, college?
0: Oh, yeah. Big, the biggest first moment for me that really stands out was right, right after I left college. I was only a couple of years in the league at that point, but still, I was only you know, 21, 22 years old. And just after that, my best friend in the world, uh, who I'd lived with for a long time, he and I were incredibly close. He, he definitely started to go uh, down a dark path and suffered with depression at, at that age. And then he ended up uh, taking his own life really only a year later. So we were both in our early 20s. And I really struggled with that. That was definitely the first big adversity I faced in my life. Here's your best friend that was going through it. It was during fall camp. I was in camp and really worried about things that were going on in my life and a QB competition and all these things that I felt were so important and felt like I missed what my best friend was going through and dealing with. And he was down in San Diego at the time, but still obviously with the phone and there's so many ways to make contact and I didn't and I missed it. And he's gone forever and he still carry a lot of that regret but with you a long time. And I miss him. I'm bummed that every like new thing happened, my kids, my wife, like so many memories that he's missing out on. And so that, that definitely stands out for me as the first big challenge in my
1: life. What do you think you learned from that? Because your perspective is lights out these days. So what did you learn from that loss?
0: Oh, like I said dealt with a lot of regret that I wasn't a better friend and that I wasn't there for him when he was hurting and determined to do better going forward. There's no coming back from that. It was done. There's was nothing. I, it was over. And certainly you're left with a lot of questions and guilt. But for me, I think trying to determine to do better going forward, to be better, to be a better person, to try to continue to, obviously we all err and, and no one's perfect, but strive to do better.
1: I think it's fascinating that you're wearing a shirt that says, just live. I'm wearing one of your attitude is free, just live shirts. But that's what death does is it teaches us to live. And I think when we have the proper perspective on death, fear can either freeze us or fuel us. And I think it, it can fuel us in into living. And sometimes that means showing up. Because anytime you lose someone, like the first thing that comes up, I know for me, it's, I should have done this. There's all that regret. So... Now it makes sense why uh, you got Just Live on your shirt right now.
0: (laughs) No doubt. I couldn't agree more. I think that the more I think we're all comfortable with death and our finality, we're all going to die. I I think the more grateful we are for every day we are here. And I think that is perspective. I think sometimes it's easy to shun, not be comfortable with it, not want to deal with it or talk about it and put it off. And I think there's a false sense there that you can let days pass by, moments pass by, opportunities to call your best friend pass by, things like that. No, No doubt. I know certainly for me, faced with my own mortality, uh, absolutely trying to make the most of every single day and every moment that I do have and and not taking any of it for granted.
1: Lots of lessons learned there. When you think back, who was your first real teacher?
0: Oh, my parents, for sure. Both uh, definitely strong influences. When you're a little brother as well, I have an older brother and sister, so you you can't help but, but obviously learn by example, but my family, I guess in that sense.
1: I know Darren's dying to get in here. You guys, two of the most epic comeback stories I've ever seen in the NFL. So I'm going to let him get in here and chop it up with you.
2: Oh, no, it's just amazing to to have you here today, man. We like doing this because we feel like, you know, as people, we have a lot of things different. Our backgrounds are different. A lot of things that we may go through or our possessions may be different, but we do share adversity. And that's why we want to do this and to have, you know, somebody like you, like I feel like you embody the word comeback in everything that you do. So we just want to get right into that and paint a picture for the people. of What happened to you? What was your greatest moment of adversity? What was it like? And take us through the process of being down and working your way into a comeback.
0: Yeah, I think two big points stand out to me. When I broke my leg, I still, I knew it was a broken leg and obviously it looked pretty gruesome and I knew it was gnarly in that sense, but I woke up from surgery feeling great and still thinking about my career and football and when I'm going to be able to get back in the timeline of recovery in that sense. And right before I was getting discharged from the hospital, that's when the infection set in. And then I really lost consciousness at that point for quite a while, well over a week. I ended up having several surgeries. They call them debridements, basically where they were cutting out the infection that I had. In my lower leg. So they're cutting it out. I'm basically out of it this whole time. And then finally, they get the infection under control. They're feeling really good about my life at that point, like sepsis and the necrotizing fasciitis, all that stuff, calm down. And I wake up. That's when I come to. And so, mind you, right before I lost consciousness, I'm still thinking, I'm the football player. This is my career. I'm really thinking about all that stuff selfishly. And then I wake up and they're saying, we had to remove so much of your leg. Uh, You got two options now. We either cut it off and we're going to cut it off at your knee, or we can try these procedures called limb salvage. It's going to be a bunch of surgeries going forward. It's going to be a long recovery. We're pretty confident we can save your leg. We have no idea what kind of ability you're going to have at that point left over. None of this stuff's coming back. And so for me, it was waking up to this bad dream and and basically they had to remove all this muscle and tendon and stuff that wasn't coming back. And I was going to forever have, Obviously, ability loss, and and I have to try to overcome that. And for me, it took so long to mentally grasp that and and wrap my head around that. In my head, you know, the last time I remembered, it was totally fine and everything looked great. And all of a sudden, we're talking about cutting off my leg, and who knows what I'll be able to do again. And so, it was really difficult mentally. I struggled mentally with that, wrapping my head around why, how did this happen, why me, how did we even get here, and and at this point, I'm I'm confined to a hospital bed and a wheelchair. So a lot of negativity creeping in at that point about what I'll ever be able to do again. My wife stayed every night with me, my kids would come in and visit me. And it was just like this crazy reminder of all the things that I had and taken for granted. And uh, I never knew if they were coming back. And so re- really hard for me to come to terms with my leg, my new leg, and my new life. I mean, it took a long time months and months I think before I finally got comfortable with it and going from there on forward I would wake up every morning and I was like I would do it all over again like I I would fall asleep and forget any of this happened and wake up and wake up to my leg and it would it was uh having to relive that whole mental battle every morning This is for real it didn't go away and it's not going to go away I think that mental battle was definitely the hardest part of it the physical stuff came later and I think as an athlete that came way more natural but the mental obstacles there early and the negativity certainly and the doubt and the self-pity was uh, hard to overcome
2: yeah absolutely I mean you know in order to for somebody to rewrite their story for where they're at they have to first accept their reality I don't know how people feel about accepting the fact that their leg could be gone or accepting the fact that something they pour so much into their whole life may not be an option anymore. I can't imagine the narratives that may have been going through your head trying to bounce back. But I feel like, you know, like you said, day after day, it was kind of the same. How were you able to find like purpose and joy and meaning in the mundanity of those days? Like, how were you able to turn that into something that would later inspire the world?
0: Yeah, it honestly came down to like the the littlest things around the house. My My kids running in, I'd go watch them play basketball, or they'd be playing soccer, and they they would want to want me to participate. And I, I was stuck in a wheelchair at that point, or in a walker around the house, and, and couldn't go do any of those things anymore. Life didn't slow down for my family, which was great. Man, my kids' school and sports and activities and dance, and my wife obviously running around and, and keeping the household going. But for me, it was so hard. Obviously, I was still involved in it, but not like I used to be, and. It was all those little things that motivated me that I got to get those back. I got to work to get those back. You know, my kids every single day coming home from school and seeing them, I think, motivated me every single day Uh to, to two things, snap out of my funk because life is still going and I'm still there in, in whatever shape it was at that point and lucky for that. But also definitely motivated me and fueled me to get back to where I can go. Do things with them and then when I do get that that opportunity man I'm gonna go take advantage every time I get it.
2: I love that man I feel like somebody is being moved by that now listening to it just hearing you find the gratitude in the midst of a great storm not letting you know what's going on and those thoughts and those feelings dictate you know how you treat the people that you love and how you just perceive life in general and I love that next I want to transition into how did you get involved with the Center for the intrepid? and what was your time there like and what did that do for you yeah really early on when i was still in the hospital
0: and i elected to to go for the limb salvage is when uh, that first connection got made with the center for the intrepid and it was really through our team doctor and we were made aware of this it's called the secretary of defense designation and it's for civilians that have injuries that are deemed warlike enough you can get care through the military and it's really a win-win for both sides in the sense that these are the experts in this country and the world at some of these injuries and the recovery process. And at the same time, they get to study you as well. And we immediately, even when I was still in the hospital, got the ball rolling on that. And so I got to go down in the Center for the Intrepid, for people listening. It's our military, every branch of the military. It's the Center for All Limb Injuries. And they're, they basically specialize in all limb injuries. And as you can imagine, in the Middle East, the last 30 years, there, there were a lot of lower limb injuries, leg injuries from all the, the roadside bombs and IEDs and things. And, and a lot of soldiers coming back with leg injuries. So they really became the experts in the rehab, in the treatment process to get servicemen and women back. So I was lucky to go down there. And my first visit down there, I was on crutches. I had my external fixator. I'd just gotten the smaller external fixator, which was below my knee. So it had just been bolted in. And I'm down there visiting this place and obviously humbled to be going down there. And here's obviously our country's bravest and, and put a lot on the line. and I was playing a game. And so we go down and visit. But at that point, I was still in this pity phase and poor me and, and had a negative attitude about football at that point. Like this stupid game did this to me kind of thing. And you get down there and everybody rehabs on the same level. It's a really cool building, a really special place. And so I'm down there doing this rehab session. I can't stand. So I'm on my knees and I'm doing non-weight-bearing activities when you look around and there's a ton of people with way more severe injuries than me, like amputees, double amputees, burn victims. Like there, there are people that are way more traumatic injuries than mine that are in there and are like, just like kicking tail and living life. And their frame of mind and their positivity and their energy, I think of that whole building was so infectious. And then it, it was also in the physical therapists and the doctors, because it was really the first place that the rest of the world was telling me. All the things I wouldn't be able to do again. My career is over. I'll never come back. All these other things. And will I ever be able to walk again? And yada, yada. And I get down there in the military. They're telling me the exact opposite. They're telling me all the things I can and will be able to do again. Making it okay for me to talk about coming back to play football. And this was really early on when that was a a big unknown. And they were the first ones that I was in in the middle of that rehab session. The the PT, Johnny Owens is his name. He he goes over and gets a football. And I'm never expected to see a football at this military PT clinic, and he throws a football in my hand, and I'm on my knees, and we start playing catch, and he starts having me do these half kneeling exercises and playing catch. And I remember how good it felt to play catch again. I've played catch since I was two years old, and how good it felt to have a ball in my hand again. And I think that mentality and he kind of egging me on, like pushing me and really almost daring me to go for it. And that was really the mentality of all of them down there. And I think more so than even their expertise medically. I think I appreciate that mentality that they really made it okay for me to do about that, to
2: think about that and put that out there. That's incredible. It's amazing the power of, you know, when you get around people that aren't going to allow their circumstances or their situations to determine their mindset or their joy and just how contagious that can be. I can't imagine how much that inspired you to start drinking big again and to start working towards those small victories, coming back to playing football. How long was that journey? How difficult was that journey for you to get back into training to get back into doing quarterback drills and just to get back doing your normal routine that you would do to train to get ready for a football season? What was that like?
0: Yeah, it was a different process for sure because at that point, even going back to that time, I I have a metal frame bolted into my leg and I lived with months for it. It wasn't going anywhere. There were so many stages to my recovery, even once I got that off. And then I had to get the rod put in my leg. Like there there was a, a lot of progression throughout it. But I, I think staying short-sighted, I think enjoying the process. I think getting to a point where they really made it a step-by-step thing and daring me, you're going to stand again. That's it. You're going to stand. And that's all I thought about was just standing for a long time. And then I got my opportunity to put my foot down finally after months and months and how good it felt to put my foot down and put weight on it again and trusting it, it was scary as hell. But like doing it and conquering that little step felt so amazing. And I'm so thankful also for my wife and kids and the, my, my PTs and doctors that helped celebrate that, but made that what it was and that it conquered that. And then, so I would conquer that step and put my, and be standing and weight bearing how amazing it felt. And then it was like, okay, what's the next step? And it was like, well, literally it was a baby step. And that was like all my focus from a recovery standpoint. That's all my focus was just on that step. And it made it nice. It made it tangible, achievable. And I would work crazy hard at this baby step. And It would be weeks of that working on that and getting that. And then it was that same kind of thing. I think celebrating that victory, that achievement and enjoying that process. I think at, at that point, if I'd ever been looking down the line to playing football again and playing quarterback, I think... Mentally, it would have been really hard to digest that and handle that, how far I was from it because I was really far. So I think enjoying the journey and really when I did come to terms with my leg and owning it and this is who I am and this is me and this is it and really owning my journey and enjoying my journey, I think made that achievable. I think if it was just this distant goal of trying to get back to playing quarterback, it it would have seemed so far away and so unachievable that I, I don't know if I would have made it mentally.
2: I love the compartmentalizing of that and, you know, celebrating what you've done, but not being completely satisfied with that and just continuing on. It's, enjoy the process, Donnie. I don't think I'll ever get tired of hearing that, honestly. Uh, it just, hearing somebody else say it just, you know, reinforces in my mind to continue to embody that. And just hearing it from you inspires me during the season or during whatever situation I'm in. So it's just like, hearing it from you two men is, is just amazing.
1: Powerful stuff. I I would just add to that this whole process, like as you shape this story and tell it the process. So what's coming up for me is going back into your career. So getting drafted number one, playing for the Niners, what was there? Six years without a winning season and six offensive coordinators in seven years or something crazy like that. Going from that to having, was it one loss in high school, one loss in college? So that shift in itself but then also like tearing it up, and then what you get—you had a concussion, and then Kaepernick comes in, and then you're watching the Super Bowl, and then you get another chance with KC, and similar things happen. They draft Mahomes, but it just feels like I believe that everything happens the way it's supposed to in order for our souls to evolve. That's the perspective. That doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen, but if we have that perspective, it's almost like all of that adversity prepared you. For that moment, for November 18th in 2018, that moment where you could handle it. And yeah, I'm sure there were days where you were sulking and staying in self pity and stuck in that funk. But I guess I always say like when your why gets bigger than your how, the how will take care of itself. So what was pulling you forward? What was your why? What had you motivated and got you out of that funk?
0: I think you bring up great points, and I think they're all true because I I hadn't known any adversity. With football professionally until I got drafted and high school was easy and college was easy. And then boom, I'm the number one pick. And I really struggled with the weight of those expectations. Every day I felt like I was trying to validate my draft status. I tried to please everybody every single day. I had to fill these shoes of being the number one pick. Um, you know, obviously the lineage of. Joe Montana and Steve Young and Be Your Name. So that I had to be this franchise quarterback immediately and the pressure to be that. And really, it was this self-perpetuating cycle for me mentally that was unproductive, completely, and unhealthy. And I really suffered from it, dealing with that weight and those expectations and and anxiety that came with it. And all of a sudden, I went from loving football more than anything and it, it became a burden my first few years, and really hard and cumbersome. And when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to wrap your head around it. And I don't think it wasn't until I snapped out of that or dug myself out, it took years to finally realize what I'm going to, I'm going to stop playing for other people and worrying about their validation. And I'm going to embrace this challenge and opportunity and how great it is to play in the NFL. And it's hard. And it's tough. And every week, it's tough. But that's also what makes it great. That challenge and that I'm not going to get to do this forever. And we're lucky to get to do it while we can. And so I think when that mindset flipped for me, that was really key. And I think that's just live. That's when that came into my life. And I would tell it to teammates, but really, I was always telling it to myself. And uh, it was just be present. I think all those, when I thought before that early on my career, I would constantly get hijacked out of my head. I'm worried about what people are thinking instead of what's right in front of me and being in that moment. and Just live as a reminder to live up to that, to be in the moment, to be present the good, the bad, everything that's coming at you in life to certainly honor it and be there. And it was a step for me and and I'm luck. I I learned a lot of that through obviously the trades and dealing with adversity there. But I I do agree it was only really preparing me for this injury and this recovery and truly getting tested. And I'm grateful for it and I'm grateful for it. And I think it's only been confirmed since then. In the military, they call it your alive day. When you go through something like that, like a, a traumatic injury that obviously changes your life. They call it your alive day. and I find that really interesting because it's that flip in the mindset. So often you could look back for me at November 18th and this is this day that changed my life and negative and I'll never be the same. I'll never be what I was. But no doubt you call it your alive day. You celebrate it. And for me, my perspective is so much better. My outlook on life is so much better. And I'm so grateful for that because I feel like I get more joy out of every day because of my alive day. And so I think taking that and flipping it is really powerful.
1: Fascinated by the Alive Day when you have two guys that you're talking to that are both in recovery from addiction, and we have sobriety birthdays, and it's that same exact thing. Now, ours was self inflicted, we caused a lot of this ourselves, but at some point, we did have to surrender to that life, that perspective, and it's our sobriety date. And that is the day it's more meaningful than my birthday for sure. So I just think it's so cool and interesting that they have something. And even going back to how this all unfolded and the timing, and I don't know, I feel like maybe even being in Washington, and maybe that was why it was an easier way to get into this, the center of Intrepid, because you're in Washington, D.C. So it's it's so cool to see how everything was unfolding and preparing you for some pretty, pretty tough adversity, to say the least. Yeah,
0: no no doubt. And I think it's so funny. I, I, I think the times when it's been the darkest or the hardest, or I was most frustrated, and this certainly applied through my recovery, the times when I really doubted that it was going to work out, I felt like right around the corner, something good happened. And I think we don't know a lot of the whys that, that happened to us, a lot of the exterior things that, that come at us in life. And so oftentimes, you know, mentally, when I would get this bad self-talk, go down those roads and and you can just hang on just one day at a time and and it's so cliche but like honor every day and boom right after those dark times or this really big setback like something around the corner came that really lifted me up or changed me you don't know you never know with some of the the stuff that's going on around you certainly to be here in the nation's capital and, and no doubt i'm not sure i would have gotten the secretary of defense designation if i wasn't here and lucky for that
2: i just feel like you can cover so many angles for people and uh, just for the person that's like, that's stuck in their mess, listening to you, you've played great football and haven't necessarily been appreciated the way that you could have been, should have been, honestly, uh, for the way that you played. And there's people out there that may be doing their job well or doing things well and they don't feel appreciated. And then you talk about just bouncing back from something that you didn't even ask for. It's just such great perspective here. And for the people that are stuck, like if you were to have one quote, like one, Tweet that you could put your name on that you could send to that person that's stuck and doesn't know what to do, or they may even know what to do, but yeah. they don't know what move to make. What would you say to them? God, it's, it's such a great question. I think we all
0: go through it, and that's what I love about this podcast. Like we all go through it. Life is hard, and it comes at us in a lot of different ways, and a lot of it's unexpected and unplanned, and it, it can be really tough at times. And you know, for me, I think "just live" became that saying for me. And to take the pressure and the weight and the anxiety off of it and, and to just live and to not try and be perfect and to don't care about being perfect and, and not caring about other people's validations and, and am I a good quarterback and, and being present. And I guess I realized looking back when I wasn't and learning from those times and how many moments I missed worrying about stupid crap that like you had no bearing on my life or my happiness. Or where I was going, and so determined to live up to that, it really is a challenge. The way I say "just live" to me, like, can I just live? Can I be present? Can I take what comes at me and be there in the moment? And and that's life. I feel like for me, that's what that kind of embodies.
1: It's powerful because I teach yoga and meditation and talk mindfulness, right? be present, and that's what you're saying here. And I, I love your catchphrase of "just live" because it's the same where. A lot of times, I always say, like life only unfolds in moments, and it's it's moment to moment. And if we're not present for those moments, we end up missing out on what matters the most. And for many, including myself, it took bottom. It took a real mess for me to stop resisting and thinking I needed to be perfect, wanted everybody to like me, like all these stories. And so I'm chasing something outside of myself. So I never really land in the present moment. And everybody's affected by that, including myself. I always say the best gift we can give ourselves or anybody else is the gift of presence. And it's this word. It's often overused and it's rarely embodied, especially nowadays with our smartphones. And you can turn on Sports Center or any news station, which hopefully you don't watch too much news, but like tickers going in every different direction. And it's really hard to land back in the present moment. That's why I'm passionate about mindfulness and teaching it because I missed out on a lot of my life because I was chasing and caught up in guilt and shame for my past. I think you nailed it with your catchphrase, man. Uh, thank you.
0: Appreciate it. It's yeah. funny. The story where it came from, you'll, you'll understand this, Darren. Is it, I would tell me in my first few years in the league, I really had a hard time dealing with the anxiety I talked about, but it would mount towards game day. You know, obviously, like the whole week when you're in the season, like everything builds towards mm-hmm. game day. But back then, when that has like a negative connotation and a weight, basically the weight gets heavier and heavier towards game day, and it would peak right before the game. And so Just Live became, I used to have these teammates that would, these crazy special teams guys that would challenge people in the locker room, like even to Live Today. And I had a couple of them that would say that. I didn't understand it at first. And then for me, Just Live, as I got older, I would say to a lot of the young guys as we come out, right before we're going out of the tunnel, and like I said, I was really saying it to myself the whole the whole time. But really, I think it was about how amazing game days tied into everything, emotions, and, and there's obviously a, so much stimulus going on and, and a lot on the line. And it there it became the, this ultimate kind of example of it that all that stuff going on right the lights, fireworks, the crowd, the scoreboards, all of that, and obviously everything that's on the line that we've been practicing all week. The magnitude of the situation, like with all that going on, can you be present in that moment? And for me, that was what it was about, because I think that the guys that are present more often do play better. I think the guys that all the stuff going on and their nerves get the best, you know, they get so worked up and they do get hijacked out of it. And you're not there and you don't even give yourself a chance. You've lost before it even happened. And so for me, it became that. Hey, you're gonna go out there and make mistakes, but if I'm present, I'm also gonna make a couple plays too. And, and almost like embracing what was about to happen. And could I be in it? Can I be locked in with all that other stuff going on? And obviously, like you're saying, Donnie, obviously that was an example for me. But it, it goes beyond that into, into all of our life. And, and for me, yeah, it's something I use all the time now.
2: Yeah. So. Amazing phrase. I know through my career so far, like even as time goes along, I realize more and more how little I have control over so many things. I can't control, you know, what the quarterback's reading. I can't control the lines blocking. I really can control my preparation. Uh, I can control my effort, and uh, the main thing I can control is my attitude. And uh, you know, I, I love the fact that partnered with attitude is free and clothing with a great message. I don't know. I just like, I love it. Like I've been wearing your stuff around and everything. And uh, just tell us how you came in contact with that brand and what y'all are trying to accomplish together.
0: Yeah, it was a perfect fit. I, I couldn't agree more because I really felt like it was saying the same thing. No doubt. The number one thing that we control every single day when we get up is our attitude. And for me, what better way and to put it on your chest, because you don't know, a lot of times when going back to my buddy, you don't know what people are going through. And all of a sudden here, you have it on a hat or a sweatshirt, or you gift it to somebody. And, yeah, and it, and it can help change it. And then for me, even more so every time I look in the mirror, it reminds me, like, if I'm wearing this, I better live it. And I better bring it today. If So, and an the amazing thing, especially with the partnership for me, is 100% of the proceeds go to the Center for the Intrepid in San Antonio. was a place that changed my life not just from, like I said, a rehab standpoint, but a mindset and mentality. And So to be able to give back in a little way is amazing. So it, it's all around a win-win. Lo- love the partnership. And like I said, I, I feel like it's
2: such a great message and it's all pretty comfortable too. So that's nice. Oh yeah, no, nah, it's, it's it's comfortable for sure. Like you got the stamp for me. We ain't just up here <laughs> uh, just, just saying anything. Like we've worn it and uh, it's, it's the real deal. I appreciate it.
1: So I think before we close, I know... We want to honor your time. I, I just wanted you to touch on one thing. And I think that Darren will ask you our standard last question, but you returning to football, it was something bigger, but you talk about why you returned. And I've heard you mention purpose, love, and will. Can you just touch on that briefly?
0: Yeah, I think going back to honoring every day and honoring what we can do, I was so determined to find out where this road would end. And I'm so grateful that it kept going and going. I kept thinking I would hit a wall in my ability. Like I would hit a wall or in my pain and I couldn't go anymore. And you know what I'm done. This is all I can do. And I'm so lucky that it just kept going. There's been a lot of people that I've met that have very similar injuries that that road stopped short of mine. And so I'm so lucky. And I felt like it's disrespectful not to push it, not to keep going and to see where it ends. And as crazy as it was that it kept going back to a football field for me. And as as terrifying as that was, and I think hard for people to understand, I really feel like, how could I walk away from this opportunity that I thought was taken from me? How can I not pursue this and see it through? And I'm so thankful for not only the love of my wife and kids that helped me get there, but the moment when I got the approval from the doctors that my bone was healthy enough that I could go play tackle football again. It had been close to two years of a crazy process and the burden my wife carried over the course of that time was so great. And in that moment, when it was just her and I, and it was like, okay, what do you think? Here it is. It's right in front of us now. Like actually going back out on the field and playing football again. And as much as I even wanted her maybe to say, Hey, don't do it. We got the rest of our life. And we're so lucky that she gave me that she opened that door for me and let me go do that. And chase that so to me how much love that took from her because it would have been easy just to say you know what we're in such a great place you're in such a great place now let's just go on with the rest of our life but to to, for her to let me fulfill that i think as scary as that was i think certainly says so much about love in general and certainly how lucky
2: i am yeah absolutely i know for sure listening to you and listening to everyone's comeback story realize that we can't come back alone. Uh, and on Comeback Stories, we love to show love to the people that have helped us along our way. And we give a Comeback Story shout-out here. So if you had one person that you could give a Comeback Story shout-out to today, who would you give that to? Oh, without a doubt, it's my wife. Yeah, without a doubt. Going back to
0: when I, mean, I wore this metal frame bolted into my leg for 10 months. You got to clean the pin sites every other day. They're nasty. They ooze. They're bloody. Like, obviously, they're an infection risk. I'm talking, you've got about 20 pin sites and and screws. And I had a pick line to my heart. She's doing my twice daily pushes. I'm getting five different shots. She's got to do. We had to rent a wheelchair van for six, eight weeks. We ramps through our house. She modified the whole house. This whole time, she, she kept the whole house running. Three kids, activity, school family, friends in town throughout the whole process. I, I couldn't drive for a long time because it was my right leg. So I had this big old halo on my leg. I couldn't drive. Like the amount of things that I put her through going down this long recovery road. And then, like I said, I think ultimately for her to see it through with me and I, I think it's is, is been so special and she's deserves so much credit. Like I said, I, there were so many times too where I got down that she pushed me. Snap me out of it when you need some tough love, and, and she was there to do that as well. It wasn't like it was all just pampering. So thankful for her uh, in my life.
1: I love that man. I figured that would be the answer. That was a no brainer. And it's <laughs> it's cool because when we're going through tough times or anything that doesn't seem achievable, it's who, not how. It's who who can bring us along, who can bring us in the journey. And it sounds like really she's probably the real her- hero in this whole thing.
0: No doubt. For sure. Absolutely. I'm so lucky. Yeah. And I do go back to those times as well, like the push at times, like where you do get down and she, you know, the push to get me out of it and to do uh, and all the times in between. So just to have that daily partner as you're going through something, obviously it, it makes it bearable.
1: And to have it come full circle and have her voice giving you the comeback player of the, the year award. That was like, it had me in tears, man. And I was like, we got to connect with him. And, and I'm glad it happened, man. It's a blessing. Your perspective, your accessibility, just saying yes to this and your attitude through this all. And man, it's just an honor and a blessing to to be here having you share your comeback story. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I know Darren feels the same. Well, yeah, man.
2: Thank you for your time, for your wisdom. I know people are going to be changed and moved by this. Just sitting here being able to listen to you speak. So okay. just thank you, man. And Thank you for embodying everything about what a comeback is, man. It's, it's, it's special and we appreciate you.
0: I appreciate you guys. I love what you guys are doing. Obviously, Darren, I'm such a big fan. And Donnie, I mean, I just love what this show's about. And obviously talking about people's struggles. Everybody's going through things and does at certain points. So a lot of times I feel like it's been taboo in this country to talk about those struggles. And I, And I love putting it out there because it, it makes it so much, I think, better for everybody. We can all learn from each other.
1: Beautiful, man. We look forward to uh, seeing you starting next year. Definitely for some team. No doubt about
0: it. Yeah. See you guys.
1: This is what I
2: represent. Staying true till I'm six down. It might take a little bit, but every king's gonna get crowned.